<laughs> Good. Hey, people. Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to the Daily Evolver and our new daily show, Monday through Thursdays. Uh, it's Monday, October 9th, 2017, and the first snowy day here in Boulder. And it has, uh, it's been kind of bittersweet to see my garden dying. Um, I, as I may have said, I've gotten into gardening this year and, and, you know, it's a wonderful practice in seeing the arising, manifesting and passing away of life, you know, and, and, and yet, as I was thinking about that this morning, I had a sort of a moral, a new moral dilemma arise. And I realized that, yeah, my perennials are go going to sleep, you know, the trees and the bushes and stuff that live from year to year. But my annuals, which is a lot of the flowers, begonias, geraniums, petunias, all of that sort of thing, they're going to just die. <laughs> and they're not going to wake up next spring. And, um, and I realized that this whole annual thing is the process of moving plants that don't belong where they are and can only live for a couple seasons, moving from them from where they can live year-round to this place where they have to die each year. And, you know, are we going to look back on that and see <laughs> a great oppression of the plant kingdom? We were talking last week about how moral growth means extending your uh, center of moral consideration to more and more beings. And so, I don't know. I think I'm probably overthinking it, but it feels a little sad. So, yeah, uh, so does this topic today, actually. Um, I want to talk a bit about this massacre in Las Vegas uh, and um, if what, if anything, integral thinking can bring to some reconciliation or some understanding about this. And... You know, just to refresh you, it's it basically what happened was, I guess it was nine or ten days ago, a guy pretty much like me, a uh, year older than me, white guy, uh, gets a room at the um, Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas, and over three days, he creates a high-tech sniper nest overlooking a big square uh, where he has uh, 40 weapons. And 20 of them, he's converted with this bump stock thing to uh, basically just short of machine guns, uh, where they can fire uh, 50 rounds a minute. And um, so he's basically, you know, turned these semi-automatic guns into automatic guns. He set up cameras in the halls. He's created charts that calculate the height distance and drop rate of each weapon, plots a grid in this square. And then the night of action, he um, busts out two windows and starts firing on a country music concert, kills 58 people so far have died. And the other statistic that in some ways is even more shocking to me is that he wounded just short of 500. That's a statistic we actually want to let breathe for a minute. 500 people wounded, hit, 58 killed. And predictably, and I think, you know, rightly, it has triggered a great conversation in this country or a fight 
you know, it's part of the culture wars, of course, uh, where we ask the question, how can this happen? Uh, and is this the kind of culture we want to live in? And why is this particular problem so unique to America in, in terms of the developed world? Um, America has 15 times the number of guns as Great Britain, for instance, and 40 times the gun deaths. And that's true. The statistics, we, we uh, um, compare badly to uh, basically all developed countries. And uh, again, could integral theory tell us anything about this? And there are a couple of things that come to mind. And one is that, of course, cultures have uh, interiors. This is the lower left quadrant using Ken Wilber's Aqua Maps. And the lower left quadrant is the interior of the collective. And the interior of the collective uh, is, you know, every culture has its own sort of personality. And America is unique in that we started as a new world, at least from the European, from the settler's perspective, not from the native perspective, but from um, the, the winners of that fight. Uh, this was a new world. And um, in the interiors, and here we're talking about the upper left, you know, the interior of the people who came here. What is it to leave everything you've ever known. And we're talking in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, when you left Europe to come to America, you were essentially saying goodbye to everybody you know, everything you know, and there was not much expectation that you would be back, uh, at least for the masses of people. And so there's a self-selecting type that comes out of that. It's assertive, it's self-confident, it's adventuresome. Um, or in the case of the Puritans, it's the most pious, the, the biggest religious nuts, the ones who really wouldn't buckle to the king's system, uh, in, uh, whether in terms of laws or in terms of religion. And so that sort of is the uh, type, if you will, of the exterior, uh, or, I'm sorry, of the interior of the American psyche. And that's actually still true of immigrants. Uh, the most adventuresome, the most confident, the, you know, the ones who are assertive. Uh, they're the ones who are drawn to leave what they know and come to a new country. So that is just part of the American spirit, if you will, uh, the American karma. And in the exteriors, uh, and this is the stuff uh, the, the actual weaponry, the guns, uh, that's also different because we were a revolution in this new country. We were a do-over, do a whole new continent. And so there was no control uh, as there was in the countries of Europe and Japan where uh, it was an evolution out of, into the sort of traditional systems where you were not allowed to have weapons. You, you were not allowed to defend yourself against the king. You couldn't have the latest and greatest. You couldn't get your buddies together and build a catapult. You know, you couldn't own guns when guns came into being. That was all part of state control. So that's just 
you know, part of how that worked in the exteriors. So guns have just always been in our hands over here as, as soon as we had them. And it's actually interesting to see the history of guns and how they uh, really developed after the Revolutionary War and in the Indian Wars. That was a big uh, sort of technological impetus. And this is always true of weaponry, from the Bronze Age to, again, catapults to nukes, is that weaponry has always led technology. Uh, and the reason is, is because weaponry magnifies our power on the gross realm on the realm of the physical. It's like engines, steam engines, and so forth. Anytime we can multiply our power, you know, that's what human beings are going to do. Now, that changes, actually, as we move into modernity. And uh, modernity, I no longer have to protect myself. There's police for that. There's uh, armies for that. There's courts for that. I don't have to protect my assets. You know, I don't, my money is not under my mattress. It's in a bank. I trust that when I call 911, the police will arrive. And mostly, and, and this is what's really astonishing and sort of magical about evolution and, and development, is I trust the people around me. Because what happens as we move into a mature traditionalism and, and definitely when we move into a sort of a modern um, uh, self-identity, we get peaceful. We no longer think that the way forward is to take what somebody else has. Uh, the other tribe, the other people, uh, uh, it, it, the, because we have a system that is provided for our security, we can now turn our attention to the subtle realm. And that's where the power is. We want to share ideas. We want to create together. And that's sort of how uh, th th that radical change uh, from traditionalism to modernity, where you get pacified, basically. But for people who are uh, at the traditional stage of development, and this is, you know, where their self-sense, that's where they really feel at home. And this is about 35% of the population. Uh, that fear is still there. You know, uh, they don't have to worry about the king's men, but they sort of extrapolate that to fears of the tyranny of the United States government. Um, and even though risks aren't, are, are radically diminished, uh, we live in radically more peaceful times in modernity than in traditional and certainly pre-traditional times, it's not zero. So there is some risk. And, uh, you know, a lot of my relatives uh, are gun owners and enthusiasts, and some of them do open carry where they have their little holster on their belt. And I was back home talking to one of my cousin's kids, actually. And he's one of these guys. He has a gun on his belt. And I was telling he was asking me, do you own a gun? And I said, actually, I think I have one. My dad made me take when I left home, but I don't know where it is. And so the, you know, fun, the basic answer is no. And he said, you know, if you had kids and a wife, I would say you were irresponsible. 
but you know, you're just you, you can do whatever you want. But that was his attitude is that it would be irresponsible not to have some means of protection. And so what we see in the sort of gun culture of America is that it's not so much America's love affair with guns, it's traditionalists love of guns. And the number of people, the number of households with guns has been steadily dropping. It's now about 35% of the population own guns. Now, most of those people own a lot of guns, but that's also sort of a function of modernity. They could afford more guns. So the average person who owns guns owns eight. And 3% of the population own half of the guns. So they own a lot more than eight, 20, 30, 40 guns. And so they own, you know, 3% of the population of the United States owns 150 million guns. So, so as I was saying, this then becomes part of this larger culture war between traditionalism and modernity and particularly post-modernity. It's funny, by the time you get to post-modernity, guns are like, ooh, you know, they're scary. Uh, they're 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 uh, something that you want to uh, get away from, to leave behind. They're dangerous. Uh, they're and they're also a cultural marker. And one of the things that you know I'm always stressing that as an integral practice is we want to understand how people who think differently than we do and live really in a different world space than we do. They have different receptors, they have different antenna, they have different ways of processing information. Um, and we know, I mean, there's statistics that show that conservatives in general, and we're talking about this is the 35%, the traditionalists uh, have you know, higher stress response, um, the, the galvanic skin response. They have uh, a, 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 they respond to fear in a way that is stronger than people at the higher levels who have divested some of that need to protect themselves to the culture at large. Uh, so that's where they live. And what they want us to know, this vast, vast majority of gun owners, is that they're good people. And they're the salt of the earth. And that Having a gun is one of the ways that they mark something that is very important to their identity, and that that is that they can take care of themselves. And they don't want to get in anybody else's business, uh, except culturally, and that's a whole other story, but they don't want you to tell them what to do. And, um, and they also want you to know that if you, you wimpy postmodernist, find yourself, you know, lethally threatened by a bad guy, they'll shoot him for you. And you would probably be grateful that they did. And so, you know, it's, it becomes a cultural marker and it's not unlike in the terms of the cultural marker, a postmodernist gender bender who shaves half his hair and dyes the rest of the rest of the other half pink. And he too is 
you know, kind of offending and 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 and, and being willing to uh, you know sort of upset people in order to make a point about identity and worldview. And you know, we want to look at this so that we could sort of relax our reflexive, you know, as I've often said, our you know, integral practitioners are waist to neck deep in green, postmodern uh, worldview. And so most of us have that sort of reflexive uh, anti-gun thing. So, um, you know, in terms of the culture war, it's now to the point where, well, Back in the 80s, Republicans were 50-50 in terms of what they thought was more important, uh, gun rights or gun control. Now, Republicans are 75% for gun rights and 25% for gun control. And that's just a part of the continuing polarization. That's where we ha now have a majority of Americans who say gun rights are more important than gun control. Uh, and, you know, there's plenty of demagoguing on both sides, and I don't want to get into the, all of the arguments. It was really interesting to see Wayne LaPierre, uh, the head of the NRA, on, I guess it was Face the Nation yesterday, talking about that the real problem is the culture of Hollywood and uh, violent movies and uh, violent video games. And, uh, and, and, and here we are, the poor NRA, we're trying to teach people responsible gun ownership and, and gun usage. And this is what we're up against, is this culture of violence coming out of Hollywood, coming out of Hollywood liberals. Uh, so this is, uh, this, this war, this culture war will continue. There's no doubt about it. Um, I do think that there will be, um, th there will be, uh, a sea change, I'm thinking, at some point. And, and clearly, it's going the right direction in terms of the amount of gun violence. Um, and, and this is true not just in the, the United States. And by the way, other than gun violence, America is no more violent than any other uh, developed country in terms of uh, crime that is uh, perpetrated without guns. So... Um, this is just the nature of modernity. In fact, there was, I'll, I'll read a paragraph from a Washington Post article where they talk about this very idea and, and, and how it's creating a conundrum among criminologists about why we're getting so much more peaceful. And they say, internationally, a decline in crime has been documented in many countries since the mid-1990s. According to the authors of a 30-country study on criminal victimization, there is no general agreement on all of the reasons for this decline. They say there's a general consensus that demographic change, specifically the shrinking proportion of adolescents across Europe, is a common factor causing decreases across Western countries. They also cite wider use of security measures in homes and businesses and other factors that reduce property crime. But other potential explanations, such as better policing or increased incarceration, which a lot of people point to, do not apply in Europe, where policies vary widely. Uh, so it's just a 
general move into a more pacified stage of development. And as I said, when we are now in a situation, excuse me, where um, only 35% of people own guns, and that's a decreasing number. It's a decreased 20 points since the 70s. That's remarkable. And millennials are the least gun-owning population in, in terms of age demographics. Uh, I think the tide could turn and, and at some point even turn quickly. Um, I, I, I was, I was uh, uh, sort of impressed by David Frum yesterday, who's a conservative columnist who was on one of the shows. And he was talking about that there's a cultural change when people realize that guns actually increase the danger of you and your family being hurt. There's, there's you know, no argument that people who own guns, have guns in the house, have more gun violence. Uh, most of it being suicides, which is well over half of gun deaths are suicides. And guns allow you to be more impulsive and certainly more successful uh, if you're looking to off yourself. And, and then also accidents. And I think of myself as a little kid, I, uh, my dad had guns and he was very scrupulous about, you know, keeping them locked away and so forth, but not so his ammunition. And I remember I was probably eight or nine years old and I got one of his red shotgun shells, those big shotgun shells. And I thought to myself, so all that happens in that gun is that a hammer hits that shotgun shell and makes it explode. And does, is that right? And, and how does that work? And there was the shotgun shell and my dad had a workbench downstairs in our basement and he had a vice, you know, that you rip things in. And so I thought, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to see. And so I put that shotgun shell in the vice and I thought, I'm going to hit it with a hammer and see if it, exp I don't know what I was thinking, but that, that is indeed what I was thinking. Uh, it, I, I, I grant you, it doesn't make sense, but to a nine-year-old, it did. I was just curious. And I started hitting it and my mother was doing the laundry and she looked over and she like screamed, you know, she couldn't believe I was doing that. And, um, you know, that kind of things happen. It's just, it, you, as parents, you know that you can't really control your kids 24 hours a day. And that's what David Frum was saying, was that um, at some point, as this continues to become known and people think about it and realize it, which actually is a you know, movement into a new stage of development, uh, they'll realize that you're not a good parent if you have guns in the house. You're actually a bad parent. He used the example of people smoking in cars when, you know, when I was a kid, my mom and dad smoked in the cars. We had the windows up. You would never do that now. Uh, they didn't do that because they were bad parents. They do, did that because they didn't realize that it would be harmful. And um, so that kind of change can happen quickly and, and radically. I, I was also impressed, just one last uh, thought here. 
that uh, Brett Stevens, who's another conservative columnist, came out for rescinding the Second Amendment, which you know is a, a whole other story. I've actually talked about the Second Amendment last time a bit. Um, you know, it, it talks about that because we need well-regulated militias, there should be no infringement on the ownership of guns. And somewhere along the line, in a plain reading of that amendment, where's the well-regulated militias, you know? <laughs>